Smartcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hold on to your butts. We are changing the course of history as we see it. That is what Wesker demands. Now this affects Iris. Um, Iris, where are you? What you feel only matters to you. I do not entertain hypotheticals. The world as it is is vexing enough. Iris, I have a tip for you. Don't take drugs! Or whatever movies with Wesley and Iris. What up and welcome to Or Whatever Movies. I'm your co-host Iris and I'm here with my older brother. Wesley. Today we're talking a brand new movie from 2021 available for a limited time on HBO Max, King Richard, starring Will Smith. Will Smith says he's not doing roles for the awards or for the money. He's doing it now to tell stories that he believes in and to promote people that he believes in. And now he's playing like getting his ass beat down, terrible beard, dad man. (laughs) Not unlike his role in The Pursuit of Happiness. Not unlike it, except a way worse beard. It was one of the worst beards I've ever seen. Uh I thought that Will Smith was looking rather Will Smithy. He adopted the King Richard walk, and he obviously, to varying degrees of success, adopted the King Richard Louisiana accent. He's there, and he's there to woik. And you can't stop him from his wake. <laughs> you notice how he did go in and out of it, though. People are raving yes. about this performance. And it was very strong up top, and then it came back around by the end. But in the middle, I don't think that I got used to it or anything, because it was very pronounced and noticeable at the beginning of the end, which is curious, given that these these movies are rarely shot in order. I cannot imagine they filmed those scenes first and last. Maybe it was just stronger, and then they realized it was silly and just asked him to ease out of it slowly. Yeah, well, if you notice, the opening was really just VO, and that might have made a difference in his performance. Yeah, an interesting way to start. How do you feel about this being a Venus and Serena Williams movie focused largely around their father? I liked that this movie was judicious about this family's story, and the focus was admirable. I mean, you have to be selective about this stuff if you're going to tell a poignant story. And they chose. The focus on King Richard, I thought, is weird because it's not a Serena or Venus Williams story. I mean, Serena is kind of a supporting character at best. Yeah, she wasn't the right age for when King Richard was doing his thing necessarily. But like she said, you know, her sister paved the way, opened that door so that she could then run through it. Sure. But even then, Venus's performance was only slightly more than a caricature. 
I mean, no kids are that well-behaved and abiding as Venus and Co. are depicted as with the yes daddies and, you know, that all the sisters got along and supported each other. And I mean, I get that they were disciplined and they were high achieving, but um, we don't get a lot of dimensionality from these girls. Maybe that was perfectly in tune. I mean, mom didn't raise no poo butts, but uh, they all get along despite the obvious favoritism. Richard puts Venus front and center, and then Serena is right behind her. And the other girls, they're expected to hug and be along for the ice cream and stuff, but it's all about these two sisters, and yet they all get along like the virgin suicides. (laughs) Yeah, you can't have five girls in one bedroom and not have fights. (laughs) I mean, but it was sweet, and and their behavior was a testament to their parents' obvious love, affection, To your point, I didn't understand why King Richard needed to have two more girls in order to put his plans into action. I don't know, man, but he had a plan. He had a manifesto, 67 pages, which we never got to read. We didn't even get the superimposed, like, outsider's text over the screen of this one part that we saw come to pass or anything like that. We we referenced it a number of times, but never got to see it. And that was kind of cool. I really appreciated that. I can see what you're saying. Could have been superimposed on the text, or there could have definitely been a a montage of him writing away into the night. But this movie did not pull any visual punches. It was as straightforward visually as a family drama comes. And it was kind of refreshing. Like, I know every film employs special effects and CG these days. And there had to have been, like, ball replacement CG in these tennis matches. But... Otherwise, a very realistically portrayed visual story. Well, the sky over Arizona on their way to Florida may be a little bit manufactured. As for the ball, I was watching that too. Because not only do these poor girls have to portray uh, very public figures and play the same. They demonstrated all these techniques that Venus and Serena use, the way they hold their rackets down instead of up, this placement of the foot for their strike and all that stuff. Not only do they have to act as them, but they have to play like them, and play, and that means playing really, really well. That said, there were a number of shots where I was like, that was obviously out. That was out. And they're really nice, long takes of these girls cracking this ball back and forth, and then, you know, if it's out of bounds, out of frame then it doesn't count. Exactly. And I think that it was intended to be really close sometimes. But did you feel any relief from the King Kong versus Godzilla's Tomorrow Wars of this year to see a really straightforward, grounded, realistic visual story? Well, I'm not sure that it was quite as real as you're suggesting. I thought it's not Disney, so it's not Miracle, it's not Cool Runnings. But at times, you know, inspirational speeches and it was just a musical montage away from that. I just wanted, I didn't want to disappoint you. How could you? And they hug and they cry and stuff. And I was like, all right, well, maybe it happened because he's that kind of dad and she's that kind of talented kid. But it did feel a little bit cheesy at times, which made the other elements, the pursuit of happiness down and out, you know, downtrodden and poor, but still determined to make it work for him and his child elements were inspirational, but not in a hammy, cheesy way. I mean, was Richard going to go and shoot that dude for threatening his daughter and then just happened to get lucky? (laughs) Happened. He just happened to have someone else take care of it for him. Right. That was insane. 
It's like God was watching out for Richard and God orchestrated the drive-by so that Venus and Serena could excel, having their crucial father in the picture to facilitate that. When he was approaching that fast food restaurant or wherever it was that that thug was coming out of, thug, I just read, that's a racist term. What? Yeah, Urban Dictionary, top 10 racist you didn't know at words. Anyway. Did you know gypsy is a racist word? Yeah, can't say gypped. I was gypped. I get that, but gypsy as a term is a pejorative. Oh. Like there's there's no cultural or national identity of gypsy that's not bad. Oh. Well, what do you call them? Uh, nomadic. Nomadic people? I have no idea. But I thought that in the I Love Lucy sense, I am the queen of the gypsies, gyp, 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 gyp gypsies, isn't bad. And apparently it is, so... Anyway, when he was, when that thug, when the, when that ill-mannered young gentleman was emerging from the store. I was like, there's no way he's going to get out of this. Like, there's nothing good that can come out of this for King Richard. For Richard. I don't know why I keep calling him king. Um, but then, you know, the, the deed is done, so to speak. And he's let off the hook. And I can't imagine, I don't know for sure, but I can't imagine that that wasn't an historical event. Like you said, probably a real godsend for Richard. Right, but I was kidding when I suggested that, that was a godsend. Well, I I wouldn't be surprised if that's how he saw it. I mean, speculating here. When that guy guy died and you cut the uh, the serpent's head off or whatever, so it can no longer strike, and those other dudes are like, "We see what you're doing here. We got you." And oh, then they man. like try to kick the white dude out of the tennis courts. No, nah, no, nah, he's just white. <laughs> it's okay. He's just white. <laughs> Didn't those dudes kick Richard in the head? The the group the gang did express that there there was dissent within the group from the start. There were dudes who were speaking out up at the top who were like, leave the old dude alone. And we're all looking out for uh, John Barenthal because, you know, <laughs> not in this character, but he's a formidable looking white dude. Dude, three times during this movie, I was like, <gasps> John Barenthal, Tony <laughs> Goldwyn. I was like, what's happening right now? <laughs> but my favorite part of when those dudes rolled up and they were like, you know, we got you. Yeah. <laughs> Was uh, was when Brian paused the movie and asked me to translate for him. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Brian. He was like, we got you? Does that mean, like, they're going to get him? And I was like, no. That means they see what he's trying to do and they support him in his endeavor. And he was like, oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, did you just ask me to, to translate for you because I'm from Hawthorne? Why, though? I mean, John Barenthal and his little mustache don't know the rules in Compton, but Richard knows the rules. I mean, let's talk about a, a type of person who doesn't give a crap, who's going to beat down a dad for defending his daughter. These are accepted rules. You understand that if you threaten to rape his daughter, you're going to get a tennis racket upside your head. But also, Richard should know, if he knows he's going to take a beat down from those guys, why bother confronting them? He could have just kept walking. He didn't necessarily care about looking good in front of his kids. Get in the van. They're in the van. You should be in the van so that you can drive away in the van and remove yourselves from trouble. Yeah, but you know that if you don't, that if you just run, then you have to just keep on running. Well, I know because I'm from the streets. <laughs> right. And he didn't have a choice but to defend his daughter, to your point, and maybe could not have predicted that that kid would have been quite so interested in demonstrating his command of 
his territory or whatever. I mean, I don't know. It's I I don't think that Richard had any good choices in that matter. I would also like to uh, clarify that the last time I got in a fight with someone who had way more friends than me, I ran away for a solid two years. Yeah, exactly. And then when you did confront your perpetrator, then they and then it stopped. Right. Because I ran away for two years. One must gain some distance and re- and reset. And so what happened when you actually like stood your ground? Did, was it the fight behind the library? Uh, it was the fight behind the lockers. What happened in that fight? Yeah, did you win? Um, yes, I won, but it was ugly. Uh, he decided he didn't like me, and I can respect that. And then he punched me, and so I flew into a blind rage and punched his face, which then sent the back of his head into the concrete. And it was all noble and everything because I was standing up for myself, but I was very unpopular. I had very thick glasses. So I attacked him, and I think I was crying, and I think I was screaming, and I was like haymakering him with both hands and slamming his head into the ground. I was definitely pulling hair. I definitely got a wedgie from from somebody in the laughing, jeering crowd as I was doing it. It wasn't pretty, man. Ugh. Don't fight kids <laughs> and don't do drugs. That is really, really painful. But the moral of the story is they backed off. They backed off eventually. But there was a lot of antagonism in this movie because what was the deal with the punk-ass neighbor? Why was the oh, neighbor right. bent on antagonizing? It was like, we need antagonists <laughs> in this. So we're going to have the grumpy neighbor who calls the cops on them. <laughs> I think that all of these different antagonists, be it the neighbor or the street kids and the white people making the funny faces, that they all served to illustrate this idea that it was the Williams family against the world. Yeah. That's why you can't have strife within the Williams family. Yeah, the solidarity is the only way you're going to get through it. Exactly. So in the story that the filmmakers are trying to tell, they need to be in solidarity and and in harmony with one another because they're getting it from all sides. Yep, and that is why the racism elements, overtly at least, didn't come into play until they were in the juniors. And that's where she is, a little black girl in a sea of white girls. And uh, they're like, you know, it's, it becomes obvious at that point that some people have an issue with, with them being there. So Brian may not have understood the world of Compton and Southern California where we grew up, but what Brian does understand is the world of tennis. He grew up doing <laughs> tennis camps. <laughs> but he <laughs> He's got those shorts, doesn't he? Oh yeah. I mean they they did the swim clinics and the tennis camps and the thing. <laughs> I didn't mean it to sound like that, but this is a world that Brian understood. And therefore, Brian could appreciate how unorthodox Richard's approach was to getting his girls into the pros. Like, this is the way it works. You do juniors. You get all of this experience. You go pro. And so he was like, as a person who grew up following tennis, he was like, I never knew that they had such an untraditional path. And I think we get pretty justified and clear insight into why Richard chose that specific path for his girls. Like, I really appreciated that as a father, he wanted to maintain some semblance of a childhood for his kids. I mean, she went pro when she was 14, and that was late. Yeah, and then there are a lot of pitfalls with being the burnout, and the burnout goes and hangs out with drug dealers or whatever and gets hooked on smack or whatever. There's obviously talk about King Richard being a manipulator and being an overbearing sports parent and being a brainwasher. And at one point, the one of the two of them said, maybe we were brainwashed because dad set it up in such a way that our punishment for anything we did bad was not to be able to play tennis. And how did they get to that place? They wanted it 
consistently. And when she ultimately did turn pro, that was where Venus obviously thought she was ready. And that's the only thing she wanted and couldn't understand why her dad was holding her back. And, you know, I think they handled that emotional turn, the inspirational turn pretty well. It just illustrated how intensely interested he was in protecting them on every level. That was what was unconventional about it, because I was like, what is your deal, dude? You got them to this place. Now you're risking everything by not playing the game. In my mind, $3 million, you could tell that once you saw her stink face that she wasn't going to accept the offer. But I thought $4 million was the win, not $12 million after she lost. Who knows how long later? It was like Jerry Maguire. She's going out there without a contract, and if she gets hurt, it's all over. If she loses, she's hosed, which she did. Thankfully, she didn't get hurt, but I wasn't up on enough on this and neither was Kelly so that we didn't know how that went. We didn't know if she won. So I think we were both surprised by how emotionally invested we were like squirming and it was uncomfortable. And when she iced her, I was like that little bitch. And, and, and we literally didn't know how this match was going to end. I don't know how many people remembered how that all played out. This is another one of those instances where the very judicious decisions of the filmmakers, I think, paid off. Like they chose this kind of somewhat obscure match. So it was kind of an interesting moment to choose to focus on. When you were talking about the stink face, you're talking about Brandy Williams' mom. She was offended because he was putting such a specific time limit. He said, you got tonight to make this decision and she was like wait what like right. that didn't sit right with her but what didn't sit right specifically with with venus was that she felt like this was an offer made on some kind of theory of her and her performance and she wanted to prove herself she wanted an opportunity to have an offer made that was proportional to the value that she brought to the sport you know she wanted to earn it and Richard's whole premise was knowing your own worth, having your own sense of self-worth that doesn't come from the sport, and him knowing that that was below her worth. If this is true, it's wonderful that she had that presence of mind, that sense of self-worth, because it gives me anxiety, or maybe I'm just not as good a person. You know, I'm not a dad, especially a dad to a prodigy or to a really hardworking, you know, special girl, let alone a couple of girls. Just, you know, to be that poor from Compton and, and to not know the game and what it requires. It's an expensive sport. Tennis is $100,000 a year and rackets. And he's like, rackets? We got rackets. No, you need these kinds of rackets, these kinds of trainers, this circuit. This movie was informing me of the way that these things work. This is what you do. You go into the juniors, you get your experience, you work up, you go pro, blah, blah, blah. And then Richard consistently defied every one of those expectations and those milestones that make a champion in the same way that Venus could tell just emotionally that that contract wasn't right for her to sign, specifically not under this time frame that couldn't be extended beyond you know, once you step on the court, it's gone, which, yes, does sound absurd. But how do they know not to play the game this way? Do they know enough? And are they confident enough that this is how the game is usually played in a way that would have further hosed her for the additional $8 million that she subsequently got to turn down $4 million? Like, it just seems like... <laughs> You, you could have played the game a little bit. Like, how do you know that this is not the way to... So in that way, it was 
it added a lot of tension because when she stepped on the court, it wasn't just winning. It wasn't just her reputation. It was her financial future and everything that they had been building for, basically for those girls' entire lives. And I couldn't tell if it was the fantasy of this is a demonstration that money is not important or if it was a willful bucking of the system of the way things work. So th it leads me to a larger question, and that is the, the first in our series of questions that I'm now going to fling at you about King Richard. Are you ready? Go. Yes, we know who Venus and Serena Williams are. Magnificent talents, the best to play the game in the opinion of a lot of people. But was Richard right in devoting his life to his two kids, allowing for his approach that they not, you know, go off on their own and be subjected to the rigors and the stress of all this stuff? Because if they hadn't succeeded and he could see their potential because he loves his kids and he wants to see John McEnroe's coach realize, you know, their potential too. But was he lucky or is this proper parenting? Could any one of us, would any one of us, be able to believe in our kids that much and have that be a way to not screw them up. Richard gave himself over to his vision a long time prior to when we enter into this story. And what I think Richard did was in enacting his vision, he also did right by his kids. The coda of the film kind of crystallized things for me, or maybe just gave me the words to express what I was feeling, and that is that he traded early success for them to have a childhood, an education, and other experiences. He traded early success for those things so that they could be more than just tennis players, but without sacrificing their tennis careers. Can this kind of dedication and vision turn any kid into a champion superstar? You know, does this bring up the whole nurture versus nature conversation? Well, I kind of think it's a little bit of both. Like he himself said, my wife and I are athletes. You know, the whole family was invested in this enterprise. When he gets something in his mind, he wants to learn everything about it. So can we replicate this system and start cranking out champions? I don't know. But does it take this kind of discipline and vision in order to make a champion, like a Serena Williams level champion? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. So a little bit of luck, though. If you're 5'3 and your wife is 5 feet tall, you don't start training your kid for the NBA, right? Probably, right. most likely going to be disappointed. Right. Okay. It's going to get darker now. Uh-oh. John Barenthal appears on screen, and we've seen him for years, but he devoted himself to portraying this coach, who's a real-life person. He dropped 33 pounds or something, and he has this little mustache. But I found myself kind of not being able to trust John Barenthal. Were you pretty sure that he was going to be a pedophile or something? <laughs> <laughs> was it just the mustache? It was just the mustache and also John Barenthal. I thought he was delightful in this performance. But I was watching every one of those little hugs and every one of those like, let's go for ice cream. <laughs> Apparently he, this person is a joyful figure in the Williams yeah. sisters' lives. And I was waiting for the other shoe to drop. I was like, right, but also John Barenthal. Nothing? <laughs> no. No, dude. <laughs> I totally bought this hook, line, zinker. And he was just the right personality to put up with the kind of personality that Richard really became. Like, just curmudgeonly and non-apologetic. And I'm going to do my own thing. And I see you squirming. And I'm... It was a comic effect, but he was really 
Richard was really freaking annoying. And (laughs) you felt, I mean, I certainly felt for, um, for Rick Macy's position, not only in the um, negotiation room with Nike, but when Richard and co go to Disney world for the day and he's skipping practices and it's like Rick Macy bent over backward for him. And that's how Richard shows his thanks. Yeah. And then when he did turn on him, you know, screw your freaking plan and everything and the confrontation on the driveway when they got home. I thought that that was really going to turn ugly because you see this dude who's so affable and who's so pleasant that it felt fake to me on a number of levels. He like drives off all aggressively in his car. And as, and for Richard, you can see this dude who is like at a 10 on the affability slash likability scale, get all pissed off. And you're like, oh, he's still a seven. He's still like a super nice guy. He's just mad right now. <laughs> <laughs> but who knows? I mean, maybe Richard had him over a barrel. You work for me. Yeah. Tough line for him to accept because ultimately it was true. They were the talent and Richard had the vision and the stubbornness, the determination to steer that talent in the right direction or whatever direction he chose, whether or not John Barenthal liked it. And so this is a, an interesting movie. There have been skeptics who have said, oh, right, Venus and Serena Williams, the two of the most talented women in sports. And, of course, the movie's got to be all about the dad, right? All about the man, all about the father figure. But they've been very invested in this movie. Literally, they are executive producers on the movie. And this is the story that they wanted to tell. Because without their dad, they would not be in the position that they find themselves in today. This is the point of the movie they chose to focus on, but it was a critical point in their lives, their early upbringing. It's a delicate role to play because it could have easily turned into the overbearing, aggressive sports parent role thing. And I think they handled the uh, Brandy character well in that regard. She was fierce and but still always likable. But Will Smith, regardless of his inconsistent accent or his terrible beard, I think his likability informs Richard's benevolence, I guess. Anything that you could perceive as being negative, I think the likability of Will Smith really helps that. You like Richard kind of consistently, and I wonder if it had been like Delroy Lindo or something, if you would have been like, he's a treasure, he just wants his way. Half of the reason I liked Richard was because he was played by Will Smith. Certainly didn't hurt, right? And yet, was Richard likable? I guess, in his steadfastness and his utter devotion to his kids. I was looking over at Brian, who loved this movie, by the way. I was, like, looking at him skeptically, and I was like, are you getting all crazy motivated to, like, do something with our girls? (laughs) Because, you know, it's, it's, it's not normal. And I'm sure it wasn't all sunshine and roses for the girls that he had his failings and his weird obsessive moments where he was imposing his will and his vision for this for their lives on onto them and we touch on it a little bit brandy touches on it in the kitchen when they have their big fight about how you know it's about him and then the publicity he gets and not being a failure and you know of course he brings all of his own issues into it i'm not saying he wasn't likable but i don't think that was the point for us to ultimately like richard And so obviously after watching this movie, I went to see if Richard Williams was alive. And he is alive. He's 79 years old. He's not in great health. He uh, had a stroke a little bit ago. And he also, aside from the stroke, has a medical condition which is hampering his ability to speak clearly. But he is still around. 
And yet I had to double check because in everything that I watched, Venus and Serena talked about, yeah, our dad was really great. And our dad was opinionated and, and but always had the best intentions and had had our well-being in mind. And I was like, why are they saying it like that as if he doesn't exist anymore? I don't know if they're estranged, but he has no part in this movie in promoting it, in producing his story. It's almost like a love letter to their dad who pushed them to excellence. But it was strange, the disconnect between the actual person who's so prominently portrayed here as the main figure and the fact that the actual Richard Williams is kind of nowhere around. And I get that he's ailing and there's a part of me that wonders, maybe he's still a little bit too outspoken to really be put on camera to promote this movie. You know, this is not the first Venus and Serena Williams movie. It's at least the only one that's an Oscar contender. Right. And that's the point. Because a straightforward telling of this story, as I'm sure they do in Venus and Serena, icons, rivals, champions, sisters, discover the truth behind the legends, 2012, is a more straightforward, less interesting, non-nuanced direct approach. And that's not what the, what King Richard needed or wanted to be. And for that reason, it's appreciable. King Richard wants to be a serious film. And yet it had to also toe the line in being appropriate, especially with Venus and Serena in positions of power to make decisions about how their family is portrayed. And so in that sense, the result's not surprising. And probably most importantly, they do stand as hugely heroic, influential, inspirational people. No matter where you come from. Yeah, I thought, how unrealistic is it that there wouldn't be any press waiting for, you know, this phenom, 14-year-old Venus Williams after her first big match, you know, even though she lost. I was like, really? They're in the empty stadium and no one is waiting to interview her? She's like, oh, she lost. We don't need to talk to her. Look, there's the <laughs> other girl. Hey! And they all run over to her, you know? And I was like, this Great. is weird. And if they emerge and I was like, oh, here it is. This is the, the press scene where she still gets the same level of flashbulbs and recognition and her time in the spotlight. But it wasn't. It was all the fans and all the people that she that she touched. Right. For dramatic purposes, she needed to understand her own self-worth and find the respect that she had for herself before she got it from others. Right, where her dad made her feel proud of herself so that she could walk out into the world against which her family had to be from the start so she could be Venus Williams, the teen star, signing autographs and stuff. Um, Venus Williams, one month older than me. Yeah, magnificent figures in sports, but there's no way you're going to be able to keep up with the kids, you know, 25 years your junior. Right, but she's got an education, she can speak four languages, and... She had a, a childhood, so she doesn't have to manufacture that in her adulthood. Inspiring. Don't you feel happy for them? I feel very happy for them. And, uh, you know, just uh, the unfortunate reality, I guess, is that when you're in your 40s, it's hard to remain competitive in, in professional sports. And that is an inevitability, I think, that they're well prepared for. It's been over a year. No, at least a year now. And my ankle still is messed up from my tennis injury. You're old. Yeah. I guess we don't bounce back like we used to. Have you seen how yoked Serena Williams is? As a, <laughs> They're both pretty yoked. What are you talking about? I'm saying you got to be buff and athletic. Tennis ain't golf. Nobody rolls their ankle playing golf. I'm not super enthusiastic about it, but you can't not say that King Richard was good. No, I definitely won't say that. I'll say King Richard was good. More specifically, I'll say King Richard was an all right movie. 
like a solid like down the middle all right or like a cross court kind of wonky <laughs> were you trying to work wank. in tennis terminology there given that it's a fairly straightforward sports biopic we got what we were coming for which was some stressful tennis matches and the music and the dirty tricks and all that stuff. Oh, what I did say was, how long is this movie? Because it kept, I think that that eight or nine minutes of the, when she was being iced by her competitor, I think they played that yep. out in real time. <laughs> this movie was two and a half <laughs> hours long. It's the longest tennis movie I've ever seen. I'm glad you brought that up though, because I just read an article this morning that Samba TV reported that nobody paused this movie, that there was a hundred percent completion rate on HBO Max. Okay, well, I definitely paused it. I peed like four times. But it's kind of interesting to think that this movie, as long as it was, that it kept audiences through its entire runtime. Anyway, and there you have it. An all right from Wes, a good from Iris. Thank you for listening to our review on King Richard. 818-835-0473 is our hotline or whatever movies at gmail.com is our email address. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time. Hi, I'm Mark. And I'm Peter. We're the founders of Electrocast Media, bringing you great podcasts like Nightmare Road Stories, Tech Talk Revolution, and Bodacious Minds. Electrocast networks include Ruby for female empowerment, the best business network, and GPN for geopolitics. We built this company to create community and amplify diverse voices, and we really appreciate your support. So, keep listening to Electrocast Podcasts and hear the culture. Hey there, fabulous souls. I'm Stephanie Baklaan. And I'm Eden Alpert. And we're the hosts of the brand new podcast, Unapologetically Fab. Get ready to join us on an amazing and real journey as we dive into life after 40 and own it. We're all about changing the narrative, leaning into who you are, and living a life by your own design. Join us as we embrace life unapologetically and redefine success. This is Unapologetically Fab. An electric cast production. See you there. Electric Acid. Electric Acid.